You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. despite being in the libertarian movement for a while. And there are people who are probably like, well, that's dumb. How could you not know about it? And you know what? If you're more studied on the history of Pride and Stonewall than me, props to you. I watched a couple of documentaries this week. I clicked through a few links. There's a lot of great firsthand accounts. Um, there's actually terrible uh, footage. There's actually only one picture we even have of the Stonewall in riots and that was taken actually in the park across from it it's a cool picture but it's one that's like you know when you want when you have an event that's this important that was done in the 1960s you're like well i'm sure there's got to be cameras everywhere but this is what we have and so we kind of have to make it survive based on things like wikipedia articles first-hand accounts and word of mouth and so you're going to get a little more word of mouth here i'm going to open it up this time and I'm just going to give you the raw details. And uh, Brian and Lou are going to fill you in with kind of their feelings, their their knowledge, and some of the uh, so, some of their, I guess, it's really kind of hard to have an opinion based on historical facts, but based on like kind of where pride has gone from here. So this kind of started in an area of New York. Now, I'm not from New York, but it's called Greenwich Village. Um, and this, is, this story goes all the way back to right after World War I where some of the homosexual veterans who fought for our country came home and found that homosexual was highly illegal. And they're like, well, we need a place to kind of have each other's backs. And they elected to go to Greenwich Village in New York. Of course, not all of them, but a good cluster of them because it was like, hey, you know what? Let's kind of start a community here. Um, and you might notice there's kind of a big silence between this 1930s era and then all the way up to 1969, where uh, uh, June 28th, 1969, or when the Stonewall in riots took place. And that's because while homosexuality was illegal, most people didn't do anything about it because most people aren't jagoffs. But the police and the mayor of New York went full jagoff uh, earlier because in 1964 they had the World Fair. And they didn't want foreign dignitaries coming to New York and knowing that there might be homosexuals here or, you know, people who dressed in drag or trans macho women. That would be just the most frightening. Trans macho is what they called it, by the way. I'm right. not trying to drop it and invent any new Let's be honest, though. That's the only reason to go to New York anymore. Right. <laughs> this is the culture, guys. This was who the fun part. Who can afford New York these days? Have you seen what that's the cost of hotel room is there? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could uh, I could purchase an apartment in New York and live there for all of like two days before I was evicted. Anyway, yeah. um, so to prepare for this 1964 World Fair and the foreign dignitaries, they passed a a not just they passed some new laws and then also decided to actually enforce some of the anti-homosexual laws that they have. I'm going to go over some of these and they are bananas to me. I hope they are bananas to you as well. They required women to have three articles of feminine clothing on them at all times. They made it illegal to not have an ID on you at all times if you were in public. If you are a male and you accept a drink from another male, you get arrested. Uh, that was actually the sting. It wasn't offering a drink to another male. That was what the officers were doing. Is if, if somebody was like, hey, can I buy you a beer? And you went, sure. You got arrested. Uh, ironically, plenty of straight people got arrested because of this one, too. Um, this is the tapping your foot under the bathroom stall of 1960s. Right. Yeah. And this is like, we're going to outlaw not just just ta the tapping of the foot, but we're going to outlaw the stall and feet. And like, they, they went way far on this. Um, one man was arrested for uh, what a, an officer would do his regular, I guess, uh, trying to catch people was grabbing his groin in the gym locker room and screaming in pain. And if somebody asked if he was okay, 
that counted as inquiring about his junk. And so therefore you were arrested for kind of a homosexual because you were curious about what was going on there simply because you checked on his well-being. This, uh, this one here might have been the grossest one to me here. But I guess a regular procedure was if you were dressed in drag or they had any reason at all to doubt um, or if just wanted to make you feel ashamed that uh, what your gender was, they would actually take you into the bathroom and have a female officer uh, pull down your pants and you would have to show them your genitals so that they could decide if you were male or female when you were being arrested. So. Just so you know, this is all the situation going in New York. And the police decide to start taking it seriously for this World Fair. Now, the this drives the homosexuals underground along with a lot of prohibitionists and a lot of the mafia as well. So the mafia gets involved because they buy the Stonewall Inn in 1966 to turn it into a gay bar. Now, you might say, well, if it's illegal to have a bar, how is there? Or is it, it's illegal to be a homosexual. How is there a gay bar? in new york at this time well that's because the mafia is pretty good at navigating the police uh <clears throat> they paid police uh the police bribes and a share of their income it was actually called gayola which is hilarious but that was actually the name of the bribe that they paid it was called gayola so the cops would get their gayola cut and they would be like prior All right. to that it was they would use the term payola yeah, right. so in this specific instance, they use the play on words. Just yeah, yeah. payola, cashola, gayola, and apparently this gayola because that's real inconspicuous, right? You're just like, oh, my p looks like a g a lot, right? So, so that's what I had on the envelope. So, here's the deal: that payoff was not good enough to get them not rated. In fact, the Stonewall Inn prior to this incident was rated on average once per month as were every other bar that may be gay. The only difference was is they'd have somebody at the police station go, hey, they're going to raid you guys in like five minutes, so just a heads up. The Stonewall Inn had a system where they would they had lights up, and they would flip the lights to all white. It was, oh, important fact here, or fun fact, I guess. It was the only gay bar that had dancing in New York City, so people liked to go there because it was actually a cool scene, and they didn't rip off their customers, which was a rarity, and I will explain that in just a moment, but they would change the lights so to let people know, hey, if you're a woman, you got to get your three articles on. If you're dressed in drag, you got to get get a quick change going. If you don't have your ID, you better go grab it real quick. Or you can just split, right? Like head off down the street or whatever. You know, we're about to get raided. They uh, hide their liquor. They had a, a secret cabinet, as most places did, to hide their liquor because there was a certain amount and quantity of liquor you were allowed to have on hand that was extremely low. And it was, um, and this is sp spoken as a guy who's still under draconian Utah law when it comes to liquor. Um, it was even more wild than that. So you, you, this is kind of the situation. So they're like, okay, now here's the deal. The mob has decided in this case, the mafia, I guess I should say, different than the mob. The mafia decided we don't want to rip off our patrons. I like this storefront. I like that we're happening. What we're going to do is extort other people in the city. Usual mafia stuff. There's, you know, these corporatists that have these dirty secrets and affairs that they don't want to get exposed. And the mafia is like, you know, we're going to make our money getting bleeding these guys. So it was actually one of the few places or one of the only places in New York owned by the mafia that decided we're not going to water down drinks. We're not going to charge people, you know, five bucks at the door, which at the time was a real ripoff today. That's chump change. But um, <laughs> we're not going to overprice you know, all of our stuff to make money that way. So here's the problem is their gayola was paid on what they made in the, in the bar, which was very little. They were not paying a share of the extortion cash. The police found out about this. And as you know, with police, they weren't inclined to just let it go and be cool anymore. So they decided to not be cool. Um, in the early a.m., now we're now we're to the actual riot part. In Julie, Ju, early a.m. in June 28, 1969, they sent two undercover police officers into the building while a full squad uh, surrounded the building. And 
they started shouting, hey, this is a raid. You're all under arrest, whatever. Get up against the wall. And their plan was to just arrest everybody in there. They were going to crack down hard to teach the mafia lesson about what happens when you don't pay the extortion money, the full amount of the extortion money to the police, what they are owed. Problem is, is there were 205 people in that building and a lot more liquor than they expected. And they did not have the manpower to arrest all 205 people and grab all the liquor. The patrons of the bar seemed aware of this. And now while the police would have been content to just maybe arrest a couple people and drag and take all their liquor, the people in the bar were like, well, if they can't arrest all of us, then if we all resist, they're going to have to arrest all of us. Otherwise, you know, bias and all that. So we are going to stick together and we are all going to refuse to go to the bathroom with the female cops. And we are all going to refuse our ID, even those of us who have it. And we're all going to resist, even those of us who are not dressed in drag, even those of those of us who, you know, aren't being homosexual or appearing homosexual or whatever the crime they decided to make it. We are going to stick together. <laughs> so this created a situation. The cops were OK with handling that, though. They were like, you know what? All right. This is maybe a few more people than we thought we would arrest, but we can arrest 205 people. We'll just need a little backup. So they call in and they radio for a lot of backup to help them with all the liquor and all the people inside. During this time, 100 to 150 people who were friends, family, and allies of the community uh, at the Stonewall Inn surrounded the cops who were surrounding the Stonewall Inn. And they started giving them fascist salutes, uh, making fun of them. There was some singing, there was yelling, there was chanting, and the cops found themselves outnumbered. Uh, they, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> feel good moment, right? Real, real feel good moment before it turns into a super feel good, well, before it turns into a really feel bad moment, and then a feel great moment later, right? Um, by the time the first backup wagon. I guess wagons, what we're calling them now. There was over a thousand to two thousand people there uh, who were, of course, not pleased with what was going on. Um, I'm sure of what to do. The officers actually delayed the rest of the backup after the first one got there because the first one was like, "Hey, we had trouble getting through, and this thing might get pretty wild because these people aren't happy that we are trying to arrest all the people inside the Stonewall Inn." The situation actually turned into a brief hostage situation with the police not overtly threatening to beat people up, but with the people outside being like, hey, if we go crazy on the cops right now, they could just beat up all the people inside the Stonewall Inn. Again, these are our friends and family. We don't want them to get hurt. We don't want the police to anything bad to happen to them because there are our friends and family inside that building that we like. So uh, they didn't do anything for a hot minute. The cops were putting people in cuffs. Of course, I mean, I shouldn't say do anything. This They were chanting and making fun of the police and letting them know exactly how they felt about them. Uh, there's a woman who has, to this day, never been identified. Historians have made some attempts, never successfully. They thought they had a name and everything, and that person was like, nope, not me. So this person has never been identified, but what really kicked it off was she was being drug, dr dragged into a police car. She was, of course, not very compliant. And she shouted to the crowd, like, what, aren't you guys going to do something about it? And then a police officer hit her in the head with a baton. And at that moment, the crowd decided, you know what, the only thing holding us back was you not being violent with the people in the bar. You just got violent with the people in the Stonewall Inn. Now we're charging. And the people charged in, uh, as you can imagine, hell broke loose. Um, all but 13 of all but 13 handcuffed detainees were released. Um, well, not on, not by the police, but they were uh, forcibly released by the crowd. Uh, the pol police cars then had their tires slashed so that they couldn't drive away or escape. Uh, the police at that point called in across all of New York City, not just Greenwich Village or Harlem or the, you know, the subset of New York. They called all across New York City and was like, hey, we need help. You know, every cop available needs to come help us. We are in some trouble. So they call. And here's the problem. Even after every cop in New York City got there, they were still outnumbered by about 500 to 600 people who were not happy with what the police were doing. 
they turned on fire hoses. These fire hoses were not strong enough to go against everybody. And I guess from what I understand when reading it, they turned on multiple fire hoses at the same time, which made it so that the fire hoses were weak because they were connected to the same water system. So they got like a nice little trickle and it wasn't powerful enough to actually stop anybody. So the people charged against them with the fire hoses. Um, they temporarily detained the officers themselves, you know, just by like standing on their backs, you know, being like, Hey, this guy's not going to do anything anymore. You know? Um, so they, in a twist of irony, the second half of this backup, you know, the first car came in and then they're waiting on the rest of the backup. Uh, Stonewall Inn sits on the street and that street is, uh, overlooking that street is a prison for women, specifically uh, a ward of women who were homosexuals or were kind of macho. And so they decided that, hey, we need to drive past this street. The people who were locked up for these gender and sexual minority crimes looked over down the street. They saw the Stonewall Inn. They saw what was going on. They lit their possessions on fire, threw it out the window, and prevented the rest of the police from getting to the Stonewall Inn and helping out their fellow officers. So they had separated the police that way. Um, all right. So by sunrise, it was actually, it, this all started at like, I think, 1.20 a.m. And by 4 o'clock a.m., it was actually about all over because the police had decided to retreat. This was the first time in New York City history that the police department had decided, we can't handle this crime. We're out. Took off. There were 13 people that ended up being arrested um, for their participation in the Stonewall wall riots, but they were not anywhere close to the people that the police had intended. They did destroy the Stonewall Inn, uh, which I guess was their intended to shut it down because they wanted to teach the mafia who's boss. But what they really did was show the city something else. And for the next several days, what happened was all gender and sexual minorities decided to stop disguising it anymore. The women stopped wearing three articles of clothing. And what happened was the cops would approach them. Everybody else in the city who was around them would look at the cops and be like, hey, you do that. You're going to have a problem with all 20 people here right now. And the cops stopped then actually enforcing these crimes. The reason it became known as pride was because you would display who you were proudly and everybody else would proudly def defend their friend and neighbor and ally and say, you got a problem with him. You got a problem with me. You got a problem with all of us. And there's no way that you cops are going to be able to deal with that quantity of people. So they get cops would give them a side eye. The people would stare them down. The cops wouldn't do anything about it. From then on, it used to be kind of a uh, uh, an annual yearly thing on June 28th. It obviously became a month. And that is the story of Pride and uh, where the origins come from. I was fascinated by that whole thing, but I didn't I didn't know nothing about any of that. Lou, your thoughts on Stone the Stonewall Inn and Pride? <laughs> um, well, okay, there's a couple of things. I know a lot of times we focus on that first night, the 28th. Um, those riot, like the rioting and the them facing off happened over a five-day period. And at one point there was um fire outside the door. Now there was only one entrance to the Stonewall was the front door. There was no back entrance, no fire exits, like, and the police had, you know, initially barricaded at the door and then they moved in and they barricaded the door from the inside with the police in there, which was such an odd thing for them to do. Um, so, you know, and it, I think the over the next four days after the initial day, a lot of times gets sort of forgotten. But really, um, and I want to confirm because I was uh, looking. Oh, I lost it now. It's temporary music. Somebody give us some elevator music. Right. No. Um, do, do, so yeah. Okay, so at this time, the laws. Um, were so specific to you know banning homosexuality and and transgender or you know drag any of that um and i remember who's it last year 
I watched an interview with one of like the very few surviving like Stonewall rioters that was there and listening to them describe what they witnessed. And, you know, after a couple of days, there were people just in the bar drinking, like sitting around drinking, having a great time and kind of laughing at the police. They were like, you know, there, there were people in the room who at the time probably didn't even realize what was happening or how serious this was or what kind of an impact it would have because they had been dealing with these sort of raids um, so regularly. And um, let's see, let me pull up my notes here. I'm all disorganized. <laughs> That's all right. I think the events like were so mind blowing that it's, it's hard to, it's hard to stay organized. Right. Well, and, you know, it, it was three years before Stonewall. Um, there was another really similar sort of, it started out as a protest in another New York City bar. Um, and it, it was sort of like a miniature version of this, right? And these things well, happened. And so they would, they yeah. would stage sip-ins because it had become illegal to serve someone who was gay in any bar completely illegal because you know well they they had problems also in san francisco at the time i mean you go back right. in, in 64 66 uh they had a riot uh in uh, a, a riot not nearly as 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 large as the stonewall was but um that happened uh in, in san francisco and this is 66 so just right. before but Still, I mean, that's that's where the Stonewall riots were the big turning point. Uh, before then, California was slowly making itself. Obviously, it was one of the first states to recognize that gay people could, you know, like, oh, I don't know, like hang around with each other. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and you know. Do all those little things, you know, like you know, normal yeah. people do <laughs> for of assembly. I think what to me is so important about the Stonewall riots and today, when we look at sort of like the culture divide, the culture war, right? You know, and people on the more conservative side, you know, they get kind of their feathers ruffled about the word pride. And, um, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, no, <laughs> just braided it back today. <laughs> um, but no, we, um, you know, I think, what's it? This had been happening for so long and there were so many um, laws, you know, from little stuff like you can't dress in a certain way. You can't, you know, all even at like Halloween or New Year's where people would dress up for fun, you could get arrested for cross dressing um, and they would literally come up to you and, and make you show them the three female garments that you were wearing if you were supposed to be wearing them right and it's like okay underwear bra <laughs> still trying to figure out what the third one Sock. is <clears throat> easter yeah. clothing easter right. dress right, right. Well, just, i don't understand bonnet it, right it, like in it's... 1869 like <laughs> we weren't women could wear pants right like that was like yeah yeah i won't be the expert here on that one but yeah you, you could it was so still, i'm still trying to figure out what that still. third item is like, sounds right. like it's wrapped to me pantyhose uh you know shit, Maybe. i don't know yeah, and, and and of course it's it's totally subjective so you could be i mean i mean it's completely and totally subjective and it's completely and totally insane now the only thing I will say is that, like, I'd like to say that the state of Ohio, I'd like to go ahead and give them props for going ahead and going with the throwback to go ahead and have someone look to see if a girl's really a girl as part of that new law that they passed, where they have to physically inspect the uh, girls if someone accuses them of not being a girl. So that seems props to the state of Ohio for, for doing that kind of uh, societal damage <laughs> to all the young women in that you know, state. They're going right. to have to like, the government is going to have to have to offer free therapy now. Like, Oh, I, I, I fully expect that the doctors are going to do a, a, a whole load of malicious compliance 
and and that's it. It's just like what happened in New York. You're going to get a lot of malicious. Hey, you you don't think she is? I'm a doctor. I just signed that. Well, uh, did you did you did you inspect it? Did I sign that piece of paper? Then yeah, right. Go. Have a nice day. Thanks for playing. <laughs> you know that. So and Lo brings up a good point, and I don't want to gloss over any of this. There yeah. were absolutely protests before Stonewall. Yeah. The turning point of Stonewall was. In fact, I believe according to one of the police chiefs, it was when the F, uh, these uh, homosexual slander words won. And that was the big deal was there were protests, there were events, there were whatever. But it's when you beat the New York Police Department because you have more people on your side than they have. That's a pretty big deal when you're able to say like, nope, like you're not arresting this person because... And I think that for me, I felt a, a strong unity with pride because I, I, you know, obviously me being the most vanilla person on the planet, I, d I don't have a lot of uh, reason to be there. But that from the beginning, pride was not saying they would have lost on their own if they were just proud of themselves. If it was just the 205 people in the Stonewall Inn. Yeah. Where libertarians win and where, you know, where this these rights really turned was when everybody else was like, no, you're not going to pick on the 205 people in the Stonewall Inn anymore. That's enough, right? Uh, there was somebody when in one of the documentaries, and, and his sentiment was kind of echoed uh, by the others. They said it really wasn't angry. It was just, we've had enough. That's enough. Like, I'm so tired of this. We're so exhausted of you guys picking on people. Right. And, and it, it's... I think for me, that was so eye-opening because you hear about it and you're just like, I mean, there are planned and actually very successfully planned protests that happen sometimes. But this was a very grassroots, kinetic, like, I'm just tired of you guys doing this now. And I'm yeah. sick of pretending like I'm here in the minority. No, you hateful bigots enforcing these fascist laws are in the minority. You're the minority. And it's time for you to feel like that. You know, these people are my friends. You don't have to pick them on, on them anymore. And I think that that message is still important today to just be like when you see somebody getting bullied, when you see the government bullying anybody for any reason to stand with them, be like, no, I'm not going to let you do that anymore. And you know, that's when the turning point happened. This is where I really have to give props to Marsha P. Johnson, a transgendered woman of color, the first one in the Stonewall to physically put herself in front of other people and get in the police's face and was like the first one to truly push back and be loud. And in that era, especially, um, absolutely not. I don't want government therapy. <laughs> but in that moment, especially as a transgender woman of color to like uh, the heart on this woman. I just is so big. And this also um, really was a catalyst for uh, sex workers rights because so many in the community, uh, particularly that localized community in Greenwich village where a lot of them were young youth or, um, you know, maybe people of color, things like that. And it had all been from rough neighborhoods, been disowned, been kicked out on their own on the streets. And in a lot of ways, um, they didn't have the abilities to go out and get, you know, certain types of jobs because they may have been too young, didn't have skills, what have you. So what do you do when you're living on the streets? Sex work was a very common thing for people to survive. And so Stonewall not only, I think, was the catalyst, obviously, for pride. And back to what I was saying earlier is, you know, when you're talking to someone who's has sort of a negative connotation or kind of pushes back on pride, most of them have never even heard of Stonewall. Like they think Stonewall Jackson, like they're not. That's what know, I thought. Yeah. I, I thought like, you need a war. They're thinking whatever. And you're like, no, Greenwich Village in the 60s. Like, oh. I thought it was you maybe needed a coupon at Menards or something, you know, right. doing some nice little lovely, like, 11% off, you know? So many people don't even, right. And so many people don't even have a clue what the riots were, what, you know, 
what they spawned, what they were the catalyst for so many aspects of the civil rights movement um, right. in a time when civil rights and, and human rights were kind of front and center for a lot of people in that generation, right? What would have been like the 20s to 40s generation around that time. And it right. was, go ahead, Brian. No, I was going to say the Stonewall riots kind of changed the kind of social change that we like to kind of expect these days. And a lot of people demand even faster. Think about this. In 1969, 68, 69, this was all going on. In two years, gay rights uh, laws have been passed, not only through every major American city, but also throughout Canada, Australia, Western Europe. Now, Eastern Europe took a little bit longer because, well, you know, they had the whole communism thing going. Um, but think about that. In, in the time of a tagline at the bottom of a newspaper, page 97, you know, oh, by the way, right? you know, that still got out in that world. And now in, in the world of instant outrage, instant um, being able to see everything that's going on in the world, you know, just with a click. Um, we're doing something similar, but people are expecting society to change faster. And well, we'll, we'll, we'll get that on a different podcast. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to take a brief commercial break. Hang with us. We're going to hit the second half here in just a moment. Hang tight. And welcome back, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us through the break here. We're talking Stonewall and uh, the fallout from there. Um, you know, when when I was listening to some of this, uh, some of the, the documentaries and the firsthand accounts, one of the things that kind of touched my heart was that because these places were illegal, it's not that homosexuality stopped happening or, you know, or, or, or anything or, or transgenders went away. It's what happened was it drove them underground. One of the sad effects was the, they were talking about the Stonewall Inn and how this was one of the few places you could do it openly and like go on like an actual date as opposed to just having sex. Right. Like I get having sex. People need that. You need your needs met. Right. Like right. I to totally get it. Right. But that there wasn't a place to just officially be like, Hey, I want to have like a relationship. I want to fall in love with somebody. And one of the things that struck me about the people who were talking about Stonewall and the attendees we were like, this is where a lot of people found like their, their, their significant other, their their love of their life, because they're like, man, every, everything other than that was just like, hey, behind a tree, you know, you do a secret code and you meet in a bathroom for a couple of minutes. These aren't places where you can have dinner and get to know somebody and go dancing and be yourself, you know? And so the Stonewall Inn was really one of these places where it was like, you could actually do that somewhere in New York City. And this is kind of, it, it just reminded me of so much of the consequences that we have when you employ the use of government, did you get rid of the problem or did you just drive it underground and make the people suffering from, from whatever you're trying to get rid of just suffer <laughs> needlessly, absolutely needlessly. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, some of it was heartbreaking because of course they talked about what life was like back then. And I don't know how that couldn't break your heart if you are a, a person, a human a being, human being that's emotionally balanced. Right. <laughs> Okay, this is a pattern with the United States government, most governments, in fact. You yeah. take a marginalized group and you create laws to further marginalize them, push them into the shadows, push them, you know, you're having quick hookups with strangers in the alley because you can't go on a public gate and get to know someone. And then you want to scream and cry about an AIDS epidemic. Or you're pushing the drug war and bitching and moaning about, you know, crime in the black community, because where are you pushing your drug war? It's not on, you know, the Upper East Side of Manhattan. That's for damn sure. You know, it's yeah. whether you're gay, whether you're a person of color or just poor, like there's always something that the government will do. We could say the same thing for abortion. Right. So you've got yeah. gun control and the war against drugs, abortion, laws against homosexuality. It all does the same thing to cause harm to a marginalized community and then sit back and point fingers and go, see, ew, like what they did didn't cause that. 
You know, yep. it, I'm just trying to remember the name of that doctor at the beginning of the AIDS pandemic. Who was, what was his name? The guy who kind of unfortunately kind of uh, shit canned a lot of the experimental AIDS drugs. Fauci, Fauci. Oh. Uh, I'm trying to remember. In writing, is that Fauci? Fauci, Fauci. Yeah, yeah. Fauci was all involved in the beginning of it. And, and if you look at it, yeah, the government kind of stood in the way and kind of, well, it's a bunch of gay people. That's kind of like yeah. when Biden yeah. was around for like the 94 crime. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or in the 80s, you know, just, yeah, just, yes, gay people you die. Patterns start and it, you can connect the dots. Now, the one thing I'm going to say is that the culture has changed I mean, we look back at it and mock it, and I, I kind of, you know, uh, heterosexual male, I lived through a lot of it. I watched Eddie Murphy, uh, Delirious and Raw, and laughed uncontrollably at that time because those jokes were funny. And that culture back then, nowadays, you kind of go, yeah, probably not as funny, but, you know. I, yeah. And I think the culture has brought awareness to a lot yeah. of us because I'm not, I'm not a perfect human, and I sure as hell laughed at a lot of things that I should not have when I was younger. But as I've grown up and I allowed myself to be open to hearing others' experiences, which is amazing what that'll do for you and your mm -hmm. perspective and worldview. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. we learn and we grow and we do better. And the thing is, I just want to understand is that I think even a lot of people back then found funny because the delivery and the comedic timing was kind of funny with what Eddie did. I'm not defending it now, please don't blow up my Twitter uh, right. because I'll just block you anyway. Um, <laughs> well, there's a good conversation to have about yeah. humor. I think it's probably time our country started having this actually right now. Oh, we're, in a, we're in a really tough place with it. it it's And it is. Yeah. It's because I think on one hand, there is absolutely making fun of marginalized people and making them even more marginalized, make them feel bad. And yeah. at the same time, jokes is how you feel included. How I hang out with my bros is we're not constantly talking around talking about how awesome we are. We're jabbing at each other, right? We make mm -hmm. fun of the, the little differences or whatever. Right. But it's in a way that makes them feel like part of the group as opposed right. to not. Unfortunately, bad comedians aren't very good at figuring out that balance. But oh. that, that's kind of a yeah. general. I, I, it, it, that is perhaps a whole other episode. But there is a point to be made. I think especially we have somebody who, who asked about Harvey Milk in the comments, Life and Liberty, asked about Harvey Milk. And... And yeah, the Stonewall's not the end. It's no. it's the start of when people kind of had their eyes open for the first. It's not the start either, but it's the start of when people had a, their eyes open open for the first time to say, "Wait, can we win this thing?" And we are having moments like that with, I mean, marijuana with, uh, I mean, gay marriage very recently to be like, "Hey, oh, wait yeah. a minute," you know. I remember twenty years ago. Is twenty years ago, you think no way, things. right? No. It makes my heart so full to see just in my lifetime, what oh, a drastic change has happened. Oh, um, it's, 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 it's not ridiculous, but it's, it's ridiculously awesome because. Right. Right. I never, I never ever, even uh, growing up as a kid in my, I mean, I'm in my, I was in my twenties and thirties. If people get married, they'll never happen. adopt kids. Never happened. And, and yeah, it's, 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 it's heartwarming to see it. Now, of course, Everybody sometimes takes things a little. We 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 tend to screw around with cultural change quite a bit, you know, and say, right. "All right, well, we're going to go here," <laughs> in your face, and then yeah, we're, like, we're, yeah, yeah. It's like this, you know. What I'm not a big fan of public displays of affection with anyone. A hug, cool, kiss, fine, you know. No, I don't want to see that. Okay, I, I'm just a I'm, I'm a weird guy, I guess. Brian does not speak for all of us, by the way. So. Oh, and, and that's fine. It's I, I just I I grew up I in a different time, I guess. That, like I don't want to watch the drool pass. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking like, about. Like a hug, a kiss, you know, Grandma. So good to see you. Blah blah blah. You right. know, I do not want to see how far you can stick your tongue up her nose to come out your ear. I don't oh. want. Okay, to I see would that. pay to see that, and I'll tell I, you. I'm buying popcorn. The day I almost <laughs> did, I got to see a sideshow. At a tattoo expo today, and I did see a woman put a sword down her throat. It was pretty impressive. 
I'm not gonna say the joke. I'm I not gonna like say the joke. The joke was there. It's. I'm, I'm gonna let that go. Let Sword down go. the throat. We got it. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna say. I feel like we're getting off track, but also not. Like. No. But but you know it's like um it, it's like when you do see the pictures of the gay pride pride parades where the guys are walking around in assless chaps or just totally naked. Ah, you know, it's kind of like I I would be pissed if that was. I would be pissed about everybody who's doing it. And Legend of Hans, thank you for your expert opinion on sw- sword swallowing. Good for you. Um, <laughs> anyhow, um, and we support you no matter what you do. Um, but the thing is this, that just like, again, cultural change. You know, there's a lot of people like me who are just kind of like going, good for you. Awesome. If it's your identity, that's fine. But just like anything, any group identity should be something that you identify with, not that identifies you, I want to say. And maybe I'm maybe I'm saying that a little bit wrong. There are a lot of people in, in various movements who tend to take something in their life and say, this is me and this is everything of me. And you see that a lot more when it's mm-hmm. something like, you know, we're still pushing back against, like, legally there may be more equality, but culturally there's not in a lot of ways and i that was kind of actually the point i i think twice was trying to make and we got sidetracked that really you know you hear people complain about pride and and as you mentioned like the assless chaps are like nothing under them okay don't get me wrong like i don't want anybody like that's not that's a consent issue that's nothing to do you could be gay straight i don't care that's a consent issue and i don't really want to see all that no but No, but no one wants to see me. Pride in and of itself <laughs> is, you know, it was intended to be sort of a pushback against the shame that society and the government and, you know, culture in general was putting on these people. And they chose to go with pride versus gay power because they were right. like, we don't have power. Mm-hmm. You know, there's white power because those white dudes got power. But there, right now, in this time, there is no power in who we are, but there can be pride. Mm-hmm. And that is why it is what it is today, is it's sort of taken on that meaning. Like, truly, I am proud. I am not going to hide. And, of course, it's above and beyond. But I think that's sort of the point when you're talking pride events, right? Right. And so, you know, and if you go all the way back to you know, well, I guess 70, the first year that they did Pride, right? Which was not really Pride. It was, oh, Jesus, please don't. Oh, my God. Harry says, clip Lou saying white power. Oh, God, oh, yes. My God. Oh, my God. God. Endless oh, loop. Don't. Endless loop in the background. I'll, I'll put some music to oh, it. We're good God. to go. Lou is going to be like the poster no, child. For- <laughs> yeah. Clip oh. the free mom hugs. <laughs> okay. So, um, Oh my God, you guys are killing me. But that I think is is currently the big culture clash, right? Is there are people on the more conservative side who don't have that experience, who feel like, thank you, who feel like that um, pride is so, I just have beers that come out of the air. Isn't that amazing? I don't get beer. It's, it's fantastic. Um, so, you know, they feel like it's a slap in their face on one end and the other end, they're like, no, like, we're just trying to be allowed to be who we are. And that's it. Like, and we want to be proud of that the same way that you can be proud of who you are, you know? And I know we, a lot of times talk about like, well, I hate, you know, it is frustrating when it feels like someone's entire identity is wrapped up in one thing or another. Right. Well, but like, I wonder, like, like maybe the Mises caucus is not wrapped up in the fact that I'm a white woman because I don't have to fight anything to be white. Now I I do as a woman, so I'm a lot more loud and proud about being a woman. I do as a woman covered in tattoos on my hands and my face in society today. I do I have to be loud and proud about that to some extent, you know, as a, like, GS, a member of the GSM community, I have to be 
like okay with that and own it, you know? And that's another thing I think is really important about pride in the 21st century is now we're finally talking about, you know, the people in the GSM community who are in a straight presenting relationship. And a lot of times people don't realize that like, we have those struggles too. Like I have been in monogamous relationships with women that most people don't know about because I was ashamed of it. And those women deserve better than that for me. And that's not okay. You know, that's, but I, but it's cool. Cause now I'm married to a man. Like, does that mean you're a traitor or I mean, right? No, it just means I'm not. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who think <laughs> it just that means I'm not picky. Or Once you're, you're actually her, really yeah. a lesbian at all. Right. And this is, this is kind of where yeah. you get the boomer backlash, the, the, well, why are they only just now starting to appear? And like the point is, they were always we were there. Always Wait, they oh, were, we just forced them to but, be behind trees and hide from you. Go ahead, Brian. I'm saying. What? But but the one thing I want to say is that because people are now much more open about their relationships, and trust me, I catch myself. You know, I I've got a, a wonderful nephew who's gay, and it, it it still catches me to say his boyfriend. And, and and sorry, it's forty years, thirty fifty years of just right. That well, not the majority of relationships but, you've been exposed to. Right. So, it, but but the thing is this. None of us are like, oh my goodness, you know, it's this is terrible that he's no, it's just nowadays. But the things a lot more people are being exposed to this, and so the more that they see that, the more they see, wow, that's my kid, or that's my nephew, or that's my niece, or that's my not sure what you are today, but good for you. Um, you know, those are the things that more exposure, more understanding society gets better right more communication all this is interesting too because the more it's like oh well why are we seeing it so much more now because it's more accepted now the more we accept the more you will see because they will see somebody came before them to sort of bear that right if if you have a kid who's white and grows up in a white community and sees a black person yeah of course for the first time they see it they're gonna be like what is that right like and of course you're like oh crap Right? Like, no, 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 no. It goes the other way, too. Go be a white person in China who haven't seen too many white people. Go there and get look at look at the oh, looks you get. It, yeah, you've been there, too, oh, going yeah. to Japan and stuff. They're like, the hell are you doing here? Right? And like, are you like, do, you look do, weird. Like, do we just burn you now or do we wait after, you know, what's the process here? Apparently. And now I never really learned what they are, but apparently like there were slurs in Japanese that I was called. I was like, Oh Oh. yeah. But also at the same time, like on the other hand, there were people who were like, Oh, you're white. Let's take pictures of you. (laughs) This is absolutely not a uniquely American problem. Uh, No, no, there's a lot of people who are like you Americans. different right. places yeah. all over. Yeah. I remember there was this one person from Australia who was like, well, you guys just voted for Trump, so, like, obviously hate gay people, and he was from Australia, and I just linked a whole bunch of hate crimes against the aboriginals. aboriginals. And I was going to say. And I was just like, dude, shut up. Like, you got, we all got problems. I'm not saying stuff is okay. When we I all was got in problems, Australia, right? there really was this feeling of, like, being time warped back into like the 50s and 60s it is the way that there's the sort of the separation both physically economically visually um it's and there's like almost no interaction if there is it is there's a serious power dynamic it is so strange and so uncomfortable and you know oh we're this best country because we banned all the guns and blah 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 and i'm like but you probably still enslave aboriginals if like the entire world was like you can't really do that anymore like <laughs> they, they, the aussies are probably about still a, a generation away from recognizing uh the hell they put the aboriginals through um there, there's a they lot more, a lot more they will there's right. a lot of there's a lot of window dressing i want to say i don't care hmm? No, there's still there's still a lot of things that still go on there. Um, there there's a lot of pain that the Aboriginal families have been put through. And when you look at it as like, you know, it's like we talk about slavery and Jim Crow and all the other stuff. They were 
the British and the Australians are still doing that crap back in the 50s and 60s. You know, and we're not talking 18. We're talking 19. Yeah. <laughs> so let's. Uh, I damn it there. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, I want right. to bring this back because we actually got a few questions, and I do want to keep this at an hour. So let's uh, yeah. let, let's let's plug it plug away here. <laughs> there are, of course, negative elements that will come with things. Sam brings up one of them. Pride, yeah, is based. It's been co opted by CRT types. There's still elements that I like, though. There's that meme going around that has. Um, the corporations that are doing business with like the Saudis and like in, and employing <laughs> child slave labor, but they're using like rainbow flags. And I'm just like, yeah. dude, only, only in their American mm -hmm. advertising, right? No, only in their, no, right. No, it's worldwide, worldwide, every, except for Middle East. Right, <laughs> yeah. Not Middle East. If you were really an ally, you'd put a rainbow up on all your Middle East franchises too. Yep. Right. Cause mm -hmm. that's, I mean, and isn't that really the origins of pride? Like now that we've discussed it, isn't it really about taking it to the author authoritarians, yes. right? And being like, no, what? I'm standing with them in your faces, right? Like have some spine, but, have some backbone. Go ahead, Brian. But the, but the problem of course there is that in a lot of these countries, homosexuality is still a crime punishable by death. It, it's not, we're going to rage you and we're going to beat you up at the billy club. It's we're going to take you over to this town square and, and that's it. Now, a lot of them have are, are, let's say we're at the fifties level in some of the more forward thinking countries like Kuwait, Qatar, UAE, things like that, who are suddenly realizing, wow, there's a lot of money that's not going to be coming here. If all of a sudden the oil wells dry up and then all of a sudden we're stuck here going, ah. so it's starting to change. But we have to remember these societies are still a century behind us progressively. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the case of Saudi, probably two. Um, it's not a slam on Saudi culture. And but it is saying that the religion vehemently outlaws it and has been interpreted as punishable by death. Now, the funny thing is, of course, just like any good religion, there's always a backdoor escape clause. So you can be gay. You can be gay in Iran. You can be, but you have to be transgender. That's the key. And that's why I think. Or underage. Or underage. Yeah, well, well, we won't talk about Afghanis. And uh, I, mean, that's, it's very I, I didn't love him. Yeah. It, it, it may have been gay sex, but I didn't love him. So therefore, it wasn't homosexuality because we didn't love each other. This is what happens when you try to make any like good thing into a government-controlled thing, right? Like mm -hmm. capitalism, good, controlled by government, bad. Socialism, you know, some folks would say good, controlled by government, really bad. Uh, you know, religion, Christianity, great, controlled by government, super terrible. You know, <laughs> Islam, great, love it. Controlled by government, awful. Part of why theocracy is why we have pride today. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't yep. need pride without theocracy. Yeah, and, and go ahead, Cody. So oh, yeah, so like I mean, other stuff, bad stuff that gets piggybacked onto this. You know, we I mean, Nambla, right? For the longest time, was like, hey, GSMs, that's us too, right? Like, we're the we're the pedos, like, and we're sick of people. And they tried to piggyback on. What happened was you got a lot of self policing there. That was like, you get you get the frick out of here. Uh, there was an anarchist convention lately, and look, I'm down with the ancoms, but the regular comms showed up. <laughs> and they were like, get the frick out of here, right? Like literally putting, handing out Stalin, like quotes from Stalin. Like I'm not talking about like the maybe like I'm, I'm labeling an ANCOM like as a regular com just because I don't like them. No, no, we're talking like, and in fact, they even quote, like quoted Stalin when they got kicked out of the, the festival or whatever. But there's like, there's self-policing that has to happen in every movement. You look at yeah. very early Christianity and what happened with Simon Magus. And I mean, that's even in the Bible itself when he was preaching bad stuff yeah. about christianity you know like like literally while christ was still alive and there's self-policing that has to occur right there immediately right off the bat and so there are times when you yeah. will have somebody be like and me too the trouble is is we have to kind of gauge this by conscience and so you've got the trans exclusionary radical feminists right that are just yeah. like well we don't want the trans people here we're here to rep the, the, the homosexuals and nobody else right like Nobody else is allowed on board. And you're just like, man, like, like at some point you've got to open up your conscience. It's so much bigger and broader than that. Right. And you can't, 
you know, stand up for one's rights without standing up for all of their rights. Right. And, and, and the important thing in all of this is the ability to consent. And yes, we have probably some adults that probably shouldn't have the ability to consent. But by and large, after the age of 18, we've all considered consent. Unless, of course, it comes to owning an assault rifle, drinking. <laughs> cue the list. Yeah, yeah, cue the yeah, list. Because let's make owning an assault rifle legal at the same time as drinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we go, Billy. <laughs> all right, let's we close this no, you're fine. You're fine. We're going to close yeah. this out here. Anybody have any uh, influential LGBT rights figure in their oh, minds? Oh, I, I, uh, I have one that comes to mind. And it's going to it's going to be really strange because obviously there's a lot of political figures, but Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Oh, God, I love Freddie. Yeah, Freddie Mercury, well-loved, closeted his pretty much his entire life uh, publicly. But the thing was is that everyone went, okay, I, I – I know, and Freddie unfortunately died of AIDS, and and we we you know it would have been great to get another twenty years from him, but you know that's the one that comes to mind is that the one that I honestly think where everybody went well he was cool, you know that that's the mindset I want to say back in the seventies nineties, yeah he's gay but he's cool he's really good so awesome Lou you got any that come to mind? Okay, well I mentioned. Um... Marsha P. Johnson earlier, obviously for her incredibly brave actions at Stonewall. Um, I didn't obviously want to pass her up, but going back to 1929 and Gerber, the German immigrant who served in the U.S. military as and came home as a veteran and started, you know, he actually penned a gay newsletter. Oh, and I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, obviously it didn't last long. There weren't, I think it was one issue. <laughs> um, but is that really a newsletter then? Is it just a letter at that point? To come <laughs> from Germany and live in America and serve like our military in the twenties and come home and start, you know, a group for activism for gay rights then that's insanely brave that's as an immigrant as a i'm pretty like immigrant a jew uh yeah he was, like, he all was of these things. right like the i like i i don't know if it was brave or stupid but damn it i'm gonna look at it as brave because i just that's incredible don't get me wrong like in this by 69 people were already a little revved up right if you were gonna be on one side or the other you were already revved up about civil rights and human rights and you were already making those connections you know if the black community is marching in dc and you know we've got king and x and all of this like it's already in the air but when gerber did it it wasn't no, yeah, he was, he was committed. Coming he was, from Nazi Germany, no, pre-Nazi. Well, pre prior to Nazi Germany, which was mm-hmm. not great, right? And then fighting in World War One, and then yeah, like sorry, not Nazi Germany, but pre-Nazi Germany. It's mm-hmm. no better for people like him, and I like that's brave as hell. It's a uh... It's funny when you look up like GSM or LGBTQ activists, the list is actually pretty short uh, in the United States. It's still, we are still kind of in the, you know, in the midst of it. And of course, I don't want to say you keep shoving it down people's throats until they get the message until they're kind of like, Oh, I don't care anymore. And then, yeah, there probably won't be a need for pride someday because we'll just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. It's a, it's a non-issue. Right. Like, I don't think. But you're always going to need the element of pride in society for something because we're all fighting for the next step. Right. Especially here as libertarians. Right. And you're never going to get to the next step if you don't stand up for the people that you aren't. Right. Like this was the turning point for pride was when it wasn't when the gay community rose up. It was when everybody else rose up for the gay community. And that's 
a huge beginning to me because what it means is that that is the way forward. That's how we show the authoritarians like, hey, we're not doing that anymore. Are you going to be the type of person that is able to stand up for those people when they are under assault? I see a lot of libertarians that I don't think are up to the task, right? Like, because they'll see somebody and if you even attend Pride with kids, you get called like a groomer or something stupid, right? So I'm not going to avoid the question. What I'm going to do is throw it on to a couple today, but Chase Oliver and Ashley Shade, if you look it up on, on the internet, you look up uh, GSM rights, first link you get on Google has has like Ashley Shade on it. There's a bunch of libertarians on this link. That's and that's heart. and that's because that's where we're at, right? With 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 rights in this regard, they might not be these multinational people. They might just be people that you message on Facebook. But the inspiration is that they exist. They're open. They're alive. They're proud, and they're not going anywhere, you know. And so, like these are the kinds of people that I I really love the heck out of both of them, and just just say like that to me is like I think. Of course, there's a lot of racists that are like that. I have a black friend and there's a lot of homophobes that are like, I have a gay friend. I get that. I'm not I'm not going to pull them like these are my friends, so I can't possibly be bigoted. But that that is kind of the beginning of saying that's how these are my connections to the communities, understanding them and saying, you know what? There's a point I wouldn't expect you to lay your life down for nothing. I'm sure that you wouldn't just get arrested for being like, well, I don't really know these people. Why would I get arrested for that? I have so much more to live for. I've got my own family to think about. If I get arrested, what happens to them? I've got other stuff going on. You know, when you have friends that you're like, no, this is part of my family now. These are part of my friends. I'm not going to let this happen happen anymore. You know, so like the, this is something that I am going to stand up for. And so I think for me, it just comes from having friends and activists like Ashley Shade and Trace Oliver to be able to be like, no, like these are my homies and I am. And if you mess with them, then you mess with me. And I think that more libertarians need to be like that and to stand up for them and say like, hey, if somebody calls them a homosexual slur, which happened at a libertarian convention, I expect 99% of other libertarians. Look, the, the, the slurs aren't going anywhere, right? We've been dealing with those since the dawn of time. What should happen is 99% of other people should get up and be like, hey, shut up, right? Like, who said that? Like, knock it off, you know? I'm standing up for you right now. And I think that that's where it really comes from. Anybody else? I went a little over. So anybody else, any closing thoughts on Stonewaller Pride, Luke? I have one. Well, okay, two. Ashley and Chase, since you brought them up, I want to say this to you guys. I love you and I am so proud of everything that you do. Um, and everything you push through, because I know how hard it is. And uh, we all got your back, and I love you very much. So, next thing, and this is a really random little snippet, Christine Jorgensen. Are you familiar with the name? I am. Okay. Not. So, she flew to Denmark. She was an American from the Bronx. She flew to Denmark in uh, 52 and had a sex reassignment surgery in 1952 she came back to new york um you know after she recovered in in 53 and she got sort of like a lot of media attention and sort of had this spotlight and she actually i i kind of classify her as the first trans activist um and, and she really, she, she used, she got a lot of public appearances and she used that platform for trans activism in 1953. Like how freaking cool is that? And I have no idea if they're related at all, but she's a Jorgensen. So how neat would that be if there is a connection between her and Joe Jorgensen, who ran for president for the LP last cycle for anybody who's watching and doesn't know that. So I don't know. I just, that was a little fact that I came across this week and I was like, Jorgensen, hmm, that's not a super popular name. I just thought that was kind of a neat possible connection. Isn't that a Elon Musk's real last name? Or like his father's name, Jorgensen, and he didn't take on his father's name? Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Elon, Elon, anyway. Elon's family is a mess. 
Well, no, no, no. Wait, no, no. It's not Elon Musk. I'm sorry. It's um, it's uh, Jeff Bezos. Bezos. Sorry, throughout oh, the wrong no. guy. My bad. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian, go there's, ahead. There, there's also there. Jeff Bezos's family's a mess too, and so's Steve Jobs and all these other guys. Um, I really don't have anything else to add. Lou is is of course uh, pretty much an expert on this. Um, I just are you calling me thing. gay? <laughs> you called yourself gay earlier. I know. <laughs> I was just making oh, sure. So you know, I think I can do that. I mean, we're, we're friends. You can do you that. Can. Yeah. <laughs> I don't what know. None of us We can all say gay. <laughs> can't we just make gay happy again? That's what it was back in the fifties. I Means you're happy, like gay old time like, Flintstones. I, as someone who grew up in the community, you know, I my uncles who are well into their seventies at this point, like I I've known them since I was literally born. Like I was mm -hmm. born to show tunes. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> right. Hey, I was born to show tunes too. I mean, Gilbert and Sullivan, but I don't think that's the same thing. So uh, close. Yeah, no, cigar. Yeah. But no, yeah, I, it just, ahead, I'm sorry. It's just really, I'm, I'm happy to be where we are today. It could be a yeah. lot worse. I'd like it to be better. But I know that today, people I love are better off than they were mm -hmm. a decade ago. And, and seriously, the libertarian side of this, I mean, it gets back to tolerance. And if you don't like something like me, I'm not a big fan of public displays of affection. I, I hope there's understanding for, yeah, and you know, I'm talking about like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Although the more I think about it, if I did see a tongue going up and it was coming out the ear, I, I probably would get the camera phone out. Um, but um, simply because of the wow, how'd you do that? Anyhow, yeah. Um, but um, it's just one of those things that's just like be you, but don't let what you're doing become you. Um, because we see a lot of that. We see that within and playing people from from uh, being pride for, for pride, for religion, for MAGA, for, you know, various caucuses within a libertarian party that just suddenly came to power. Um, that's not you. If you identify, that's great. But be you and be open minded, because there's a lot more of this world than just your little troop that right you have. there's so much more to you as a person as a soul that walks this planet mm -hmm. than just those things and i on that note i hope that one day we will live in a world where there is no more coming out you just show up at christmas dinner with your partner and nobody questions it nobody bats yeah. an eye it's it's coming so that's it's the coming. world we're i want close. to live in we're, we're pretty close we're pretty close I don't want I, coming I, out to be a thing anymore. No, right. No. You know, politics is downstream of culture. So as soon as yeah. the culture becomes, you know, well, you know, I thought that and, until and the Supreme Court abortion. Yeah. Oh, right, we'll, we'll see we'll, on that one. We will get there. <laughs> I, we need a whole Roe v. Wade episode, obviously. We really do. That's coming. That's, yeah. I mean, possibly even next week. The stuff, so much stuff happened while we were on the on the hiatus there. But thank you all so much for tuning in this week. I appreciate it, everybody. Be cool to people. Be cool to yourselves. Uh, I love you all. Kisses and goodbye.